Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Amen. Take your copy of God's Word and begin to find the Old Testament book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 20. We're dealing with a series of messages entitled Character Sketches, and we're looking at some Old Testament characters and learning some life lessons from them. Have you ever uh, had a point in a time in your life where you blew it kind of big and it's kind of maybe haunted you all these years and you wish maybe you could go back and redo it? Talked a little bit about that in Sunday school this morning. You know, I only want to go back and fix what I've done wrong if I could keep the information that I know now. Because here's the reality. If I go back without the information I have now, now I would probably do the same stupid thing again. Amen? Yeah, y'all agree with that? You know, it's like we live these life lessons and we learn some tough things and we wish we could go back and do something different. And there's a guy in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers who, if he could talk to us today, would say, I wish I could go back and fix a problem. Uh, I wish I could go back and change the way things ended for me. And his name, surprisingly to many of us, is Moses. When we think about Moses in the Bible, we think that um, there is this great man who grew up and led a nation out of bondage. And when we think about that, we think, you know, this is such a glorious man. And we forget that Moses had a period in his life that he blew it and blew it big. I'm just simply entitling today's message, Missing God's Best. Because listen, when you and I give way to sin, that's exactly what we do. We miss God's best. Now, if you don't know anything about Moses, let me just give you some backstory on Moses' life. He was born at a time of crisis. It was a time when there was a Pharaoh who rose up who did not know anything about Joseph. And he became this embittered leader This guy who was jealous and afraid of the enormous size of the nation of Israel. God had blessed them so that they began to grow and they began to multiply. And fear penetrated his heart and he became angry and he became protective. And so he sent out a decree in the land that all of the boy babies who were born to the Hebrews were to be killed. But there was these two godly women, nursemaids, who couldn't do that. And so they allowed these babies to be born. And there was one named Moses who was born. And his mama kept him hidden for a long period of time. But when it became obvious that she couldn't keep him hidden, she made a basket and she put him on the river. And it just so happened that his sister Miriam watched as he was adopted into the life and into the household of Pharaoh. If you were to look at his life, 120 years, it breaks down very nicely in the Bible. 40 years, 40 years, 40 years. The first 40 years, he's adopted by Pharaoh. He goes and lives in Pharaoh's house. And the whole time he's there, he remembers that he's not truly an Egyptian. See, he could have lived there and he could have enjoyed all the delicacies and he could have enjoyed all the honor of being the prince of Pharaoh. But in his heart, he was more concerned for the Hebrew nation. 
He was concerned for his countrymen. And so one day at the age of 40, he goes out into the workplace and sees an Egyptian beating a fellow Israelite. He's consumed with anger and he kills the Egyptian and buries him in the sand. The next day, he's thinking, well, I got away with that one. The next day he's out and he sees actually two of the same men, countrymen fighting together, two Israelites. And he, he tries to break them up. And they said, who made you charge over us? And who do you think you are? Are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? <laughs> and you can just imagine when you've committed murder and you're found out. Panic and fear. And so what does he do? Moses hits the road. He runs. Why? Because sooner or later, Pharaoh's going to hear and Pharaoh's going to want him dead. So he leaves and he ends up in a place called Median. When he goes to Median there, he, he becomes a shepherd. And for the next 40 years of his life, God would work on this boy to fashion and form him in the backwoods of nowhere to be the leader he needed to be. And he would do it by making him a shepherd. Now in the 80th year of his life, he's out tending to the sheep and he sees this burning bush. And the thing about this burning bush is on fire, but it's not consumed. And so he approaches the bush and he takes off his sandals for it's God who speaks. And he says, you're standing on holy ground. And God commissions him to be the leader of the nation of Israel to lead them out of bondage. And Moses at that point says, not me. And he gives excuse after excuse after excuse on why he cannot lead the people out of Egypt. God finally says, I'll tell you what we're going to do then. What we're going to do is we're going to let you go back. You're going to tie up with your brother Aaron and you guys are going to hook up. And when you guys hook up, you'll be twin leaders. You'll be, you'll be the mouthpiece to Aaron and Aaron will be your mouthpiece to the people. And, and so that's the plan that God had. And so God would not let him off the hook. Listen, when God has a sovereign plan, you're going to do what God says. You don't have a choice. And so in this sovereign plan of God, he's going to use Moses. So Moses travels on back down and he goes into Egypt, finds Aaron. They, they tie up together. And then 10 plagues later, they find themselves standing at the edge of the Red Sea, a, a million plus people behind them. They see from a distance Pharaoh and his army coming and they begin to call out to God. He lifts up his staff and God parts the Red Sea. And the whole nation of Israel, they go on dry land across. And then God waits until Pharaoh and all the Egyptians get inside the Red Sea and God says, boom, and he kills them all. What a great victory. That's the middle part of his life. He has went from being in Pharaoh's house to defeating Pharaoh, but then something happens. The last 40 years of his life are a little different. See, here's what God said to do. God said to take the people out of Egypt into the promised land. You know the land, right? The land that God promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It is that land that God had said that he would give to the nation. And God says, I want you to take and lead them from bondage into this glorious freedom. And so they encamp, they send over 12 spies and they spy out the land. And the rest of the story is when they come back, 
Only two guys, Joshua and Caleb, said, hey guys, let's go up and take the land. God has given us a glorious land. Let's go up and take it. And the other ten spies said, ain't going to happen. Those people are too big. We're too small. There's no way we can do it. But God is with us. No, 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 we can't do it. We can't do it. And so in unbelief, the nation of Israel missed God's best because they did not believe God and the godly report that came back to them. And so God would have them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Poor Moses, can you imagine? He's been sent to lead the people out of bondage into glorious freedom. And now they've rebelled and now they're wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. How horrible. And you can imagine as they're wandering through the wilderness that it's not a joyous occasion. I sort of think about taking a long trip with my children when they were little in the backseat of the car and the constantly asking of, when are we going to be there? Are we there yet? Or they begin to fight and argue and fuss. Can I get an amen? Do you all understand what I'm talking about? You understand the aggravation of what's happening here. And so poor Moses is leading these people for the last 40 years of his life. And the, the text we pick up with in Numbers chapter 20 is the end of the 40 years. It's the end of that cycle. It's the end of that time when they are so close to the promised land. But listen to what happens in the text. A Numbers 20, verse 1. Then, the Bible says, the children of Israel, the whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zin. Sounds familiar. They've already been in the wilderness of Sin. Now they're in the wilderness of Zin. And he says, they came in the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now this is the probably most likely the first month that... They are to commemorate and to celebrate the Passover. And so here they are in the wilderness, still wandering when they could be in the promised land, enjoying all the bounty and the blessings that God had for them. But here they are still wandering at the end of 40 years. And it says they came into the Kadesh and Miriam died there. And let me tell you, chapter 20 is, is bookend by two funerals. It's bookend, first of all, by Miriam. Then it's bookend by Aaron. It is a stark reminder to remind us that the wages of sin is death. It is a stark reminder to remind us that when you rebel against God, you pay the consequence for your sin. Miriam, if you can remember, is the sister to Aaron and to Moses. And you can remember that she is part of that first generation that left out of bondage heading towards the promised land. And she had her own egotistical issues. You can remember at one point, she even went up against her own brother and God struck her with leprosy. And then he had to pray for her that God would relieve her of leprosy. And so here we're having this dying off, if you will, of the, not only the first generation who rebelled and said, we will not go into the promised land, but now we have the leadership of the first generation who are dying off, Miriam being the first. All right, listen to the rest of the story. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. Exodus 17, they did the same thing. They whined and complained, there is no water here. Three times, by the way, they did that. 
And here it is the third time. They're whining and complaining against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke saying, if only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord, why have you brought us up out of the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? Verse five, and why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. Now, before we go any further, I want you to understand that the situation facing Moses and Aaron is not a pleasant situation. They are leading a stiff-necked, rebellious group of people. These folks are never happy. Sounds like a Baptist church. They're never happy. And so... They're leading these folks and now they come to this place where there's no water and they go into this pity party. There's no water. You brought us here and we're going to die. Now, how many times has God rescued them from having no water? At least two other times. God has been providing for them, going with them all the way. 40 years he's sustained them. Now here they are whining and complaining they have no water. And they think it's so bad, by the way, listen, they think it's so bad that they would have rather have died in the rebellion. Now the rebellion he's talking about is number 16, when Korah came up against Moses in such a fury that God said to Moses and Aaron, step back, get away from these people. I'm going to consume them. And God killed them off because they were rebellious. Not just against Moses and Aaron, but they were rebellious against God. And God killed them. Let me tell you something. Ananias and Sapphira found that out, didn't they, in the New Testament. And so here we have these folks whining and complaining, no water. They're coming up against Aaron and Moses and blaming them. You brought us here. Listen, they didn't give God credit up to this point. They said, you brought us out here. We're going to die. And listen to what they said. We wish we would have died in rebellion. In other words, we wish we would have died in judgment. And not only that, they said, why did you bring us to this evil place? Do you realize they're less than a day's journey from the promised land? They could have went into the promised land, but no, they're hard-hearted. They're rebellious. And they could have already been there enjoying, by the way, everything they listed as far as food was already in the promised land. They weren't enjoying what was in the promised land because they're too busy wandering in the wilderness in sin. And poor Moses, he has to listen to that garbage. Can you imagine how horrible that is? I can. I'm a leader, I know. Sometimes as a leader, you get the garbage. Amen? I understand that. I'm just gonna be frank and honest. That's sometimes what happens. But understand what's about to happen in Moses' life is not the result of the Israelites is the result of his own personal sin. Look at it. Poor Moses. No, not poor Moses. Moses made a choice and he made a grave one. Notice the text. And so Moses in verse six and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meaning and they fell on their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared. That's the first great thing they did. They went to God and said, God, we got a problem. God, these people are complaining again. They want water. God, there's no water here. God, what are we going to do? 
and God shows up. And God's got a plan, amen? Isn't it interesting when we, when we seek God's face, he's got a plan. When we seek the word, we find answers. And so they sought the Lord and God said to them in verse seven, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, notice what he says very carefully. Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together and speak to the rock before their eyes and it will yield water. Thus you shall bring water to them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and to the animals. Notice what God says. Grab the rod, grab the people, speak to the rock. Now notice what God said in doing that. God says, and water is going to come. Listen, he was going to use Moses as an instrument of blessing. You see that? He was going to use Moses in this miracle that he was about to do. Moses wasn't going to be left out. Moses was going to be used of God. But notice what Moses does. I'll tell you, it's, it's funny in some respects. Listen to what he does. And so Moses and Aaron, verse 10, gathered the assembly together before the rock and said to them, now this is what he says, here now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? God said, speak to the rock. He's speaking to the people. And he's not speaking so kindly. He's being a little frustrated. He's walked with them 40 years in wandering and he's had enough. His belly is full. And so he spews it all out on top of them and calls them rebels. And he says in verse 11, then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod and water came out abundantly and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and said to, and to Aaron, because you did not believe me to hollow me, that is me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land in which I am given them. He said, this was the water of Membra. He said, because of the children of Israel contended with the Lord and he was hollowed among them. Now I want you to see what happens. He in his anger, takes the staff and he beats the rock. Now that's not unusual because see, in Exodus 17, that's what God told him to do. God said, beat the rock. He beat the rock and water came. But the problem is, is that God didn't say beat the rock. God said, speak to the rock. But out of his anger, what does he do? He beats it, not once, but twice. Because of that, he misses God's best. All his life, he is dedicated to loving the Israelites. All his life, he has been leading them. And here now, he loses the right and the privilege to go into the promised land with them. How tragic, how sad that is. What a stark reminder to us that you can blow it in the 11th hour. That you can do everything right up until the end. Although that's really not Moses' life. We sort of have this rose-colored glasses on when we look at his life. We, we've heard all the great stories about the plagues and how he commanded them and how he crossed the Red Sea and how he led the people out of bondage. But we forget that, that his life was riddled with issues. 
And so what do we learn from this story this morning? What is it that we need to take away from his life, this character sketch? Well, the first thing I want to tell you is this, and I hope you'll write these down and I hope they'll mean something to you. And that is number one, control your anger. He didn't control his anger, but he had a problem controlling his anger. We saw it when Moses went out and he saw the Egyptian beating the Israelite He lost his cool and he killed him. Now here's the problem with that. That wasn't God's plan. God's plan was for him to lead the nation of Israel out of bondage, but that wasn't his plan was to kill. That wasn't his plan for him to take up action in his own hands, but he did so, you know why? Because he got filled with anger and he didn't control it. And out of his anger, he killed someone. Think about that. That's a pretty grave sin, is it not? And so he says, we need to learn to control our anger. In Exodus 32, we see his anger creep up again. You know when it creeps up? (laughs) He's on the mountain enjoying a glory hallelujah time with God. And and God gives him the Ten Commandments. And God says, you better get down there. Those people are yours that you're leading. And it's funny, it's it's like being in a marriage. You know, when you have kids, it's like they're your kids when they're doing something right. And my kids when they do something bad. You know, and God says, they're your kids. They're doing something bad. You better get down there. They're, they're not doing the right thing. And you know, that was the occasion when they made the golden calf. They thought Moses who had led them was gone. And they wanted some God to lead them. And so they made this golden calf. So Moses, when he comes down, he looks and he sees that they're dancing around and they're playing foolishness. And he gets angry and he takes the Ten Commandments and smashes them to the ground in his anger. By the way, God hewed out the rock, but he had to rewrite them, didn't he? He missed God's best because of his anger. And then here we are again at the end of his life. When he has the opportunity to go into the promised land, he blows it. He gets angry and he he yells at the people, calls them rebels, and he misses the promised land. Little did he realize in his anger that he was becoming and demonstrating that he was no different than they really were. He was rebellious against God. Isn't that something? Folks, we have to learn to control our anger. Yes, things will make us angry. Yes, was he angry because of the people and the way they contended against him? Yes, but it was no excuse. God still punished the man. The second thing is crucial. I want you to see it right there in the verse of verse uh, number uh, eight, because it's so important as God gives command. He says, take your rod, your brother Aaron, and gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before the eyes of the people. He says, and it will yield water and you shall bring water out of the rock and give drink to the congregation of the animals. And so Moses, he took the rod, verse nine, and he went and he gathered all the people, verse 10, He gives them a little stern talking to, but then he says, notice what he says in the middle of verse 10, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Moses went from losing control to not being concerned about God's glory. All he's concerned for at this point is himself. Do you see that there? We will bring water for you. It's not about God anymore. It's not about God leading them and taking and and supplying the need. And as he's always done, there's no reminder there how God has blessed them and how God has been taking care of them. Now it's, we'll do that. We'll bring the water. He's standing in the place of God. How dare a man try to stand in the place of God? 
Folks, don't ever try to play God. Because one thing for certain, we are not God. His way is not our way. His thoughts are not our thoughts. God is so much higher than us. The one who knows what you're going to say before the word is on your tongue. Listen, we are not him. And Moses stands there as if he is God. And says, I'll bring this water out for you. And what does he do? He smashes the rock twice. God reminds us through Isaiah in Isaiah 42.8. The Lord says, I am the Lord. This is my name. And my glory I will not give to another. Don't steal God's glory. Amen? Don't steal God's. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's stealing God's glory. Wow. How hypocritical for him to stand there and call them rebels and to chastise them when he himself thinks he's much bigger than he really is. And now he's going to find at the end that he's going to lose the blessing of God and he's not going to get the best. He's going to get what's okay. Amen? He's going to miss it. The second or the third thing that I want you to see in the text, we're going to come a little bit more back to playing God in a moment. But I want you to see, first of all, we need to be consistent in our obedience. He did almost everything God said to do. Have you ever found yourself there? (laughs) I, I did almost all that God called me to do. God said, get the rod, gather the people, speak to the rock. God said nothing in between those lines about give a speech to the people. And he certainly didn't say smite the rock. He never said that. So what do we find here? We find that half obedience, three quarters obedience is still disobedience. He disobeyed. Folks, there is no obeying God halfway. We either obey the word of God or we don't. We can't pick and choose from the scriptures that which we want to obey and that which we're not going to obey. Amen? Am I preaching to myself this morning? Maybe I am. But he half obeyed God, which is disobedience. He did so because he's out of control. His anger's out of control. He's trying to be God. He's trying to play God. And we're reminded that, listen, he didn't obey. Well, he's got sin all over the place here, right? And then lastly, I want you to see, notice the back in the text. Lastly, there's a consequence to your sin. Why is it today we want to erase consequences for the actions of the things that we do? And that's why so many people try to do so many different things that are so weird to us because there seems to be no consequence. We always got an excuse. I was raised in a poor family. I didn't have the advantages you had. You don't know what happened to me. You don't know when I was a kid what happened to me. You don't know the things that I've been through. You don't know how bad my boss really is. You know, we we make excuses. But he had a consequence. Notice the consequence. 
After he struck the rock, verse 12, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me. Moses didn't believe God. After all that God has brought him through, he had a moment of disbelief. I wonder if we've ever been there. But here's the problem. This is a public spectacle. He's in front of people as a leader. And he's acting as if he's a lost man. He doesn't believe in God's word. Doesn't do what God says to do. And so it says, you did not believe me. But here's the, here's the worst part of it. To hollow me. That is to honor me. To bring me glory. You didn't believe me enough to do what I said to do. To bring me glory. Why? Because he was getting the glory for himself. I want you to think about that for a minute. He did not bring glory to God. I mean, as a result of that, listen, as a result of that, he misses God's best, the promised land. All his life is dedicated to leading these people, all his adult life, to the promised land. And now he forfeits it because of indiscretion, because of sin in his life. Folks, that ought to be a stark warning to us. There are consequences for the things that we choose to do that are sinful and against God. Now, don't miss the point. We'll never miss heaven if we're truly born again. If we belong to him and sin, what we miss is the blessing of fellowship, the blessing of intimacy. And I wonder how many people who sit in this room say that they're believers but feel like God is thousands of miles away and they don't experience the intimacy with God. And it's because we've settled to allow ourselves to be disobedient or angry or not realizing there's consequences for our actions. I wondered if we settled for second best when God wants to give us his best. Amen? I remind my own kids, if you're living in certain ways, don't expect God to bless you Because God don't bless what he says is wrong. Period. Period. And I'd say that to you and me this morning. What a great reminder. God is not going to bless Moses for what he is doing wrong. He's not. And so, how do we end? Let me just end this way. Let me conclude it this way. In the midst of this text of chapter 20, I told you, There are the bookmarks. Miriam dies in verse one. At the end of the chapter, Aaron dies. Aaron never gets to see the promised land. God, on the other hand, in Deuteronomy 34, takes Moses up to Mount Nebo and he gets to look over into the promised land. And God says to him, this is the land. This is the land that I promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And then it says that he died Now, the thing about when Moses died, do you realize that when Moses died, it was a divine occurrence? Let me tell you why it was a divine occurrence. Because the Bible is so clearly, it says that when he died, his eyes were not dimmed. That means at 120 years of age, he did not wear contacts. He could see clearly. He did not have any deterioration in his eyesight, period. But then it also says... That his strength, his vigor was still in his physical body. In other words, at 120 years of age, he was 
still strong. It wasn't that Moses didn't have it in him anymore to lead the people and take them into the promised land. He had all the vigor and eyesight you need to lead, but he rebelled and God took his life and buried him. And we don't even know where his body's at. Nobody does. Let it be a stark lesson, but can I just conclude on a positive note this morning? In the text, did you read verse 13? God says in verse 12, notice verse 12. He says, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and he said, because you did not believe me to hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water that came. He said, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord and he was hollowed among them. Listen, two things you need to understand. First of all, God's grace is sufficient. Amen? The first area we see God's grace in is back at verse 10, or verse, what was it, verse 11 rather. God gave the water anyway. God allowed the water to flow. Amen? And the whole congregation received water. But I want you to see even a better uh, picture of God's grace. And that is in the punishment of Moses and Aaron. In the punishment of Moses and Aaron, when God said, you did not hollow me before the people, that is a very familiar phrase. Because what we do is we find that phrase in Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 3. Listen to it. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has spoken. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. And the Bible says Aaron held his peace. This is what his two sons went in and profaned the Lord by burning unholy fire before the Lord. Did you catch what they said though? God said the very same thing. Numbers 20 verse 12. Then the Lord spoke to them and said, because you did not believe me, there it is, and to hollow me, where? In the eyes of the children of Israel. Same sin. Same thing. They did not honor God. Either of the people, either of the four. But God in his grace allowed Moses to go to the top of the mountain in the sea. Hallelujah. Is God not full of grace? And that's the only reason why he lived and saw grace. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.